There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Julie McDonald, co-founder and CEO of Halu Inc. With more than 12 years of trademark prosecution experience and as a registered trademark agent, Julie is a sought-after senior-level intellectual property lawyer. Julie is frequently quoted and has been featured in publications such as The Globe and Mail, The Toronto Star, Forbes, CBC, and Global TV. Most important to us, though, Julie's status as an entrepreneur disrupting the traditional IP slash trademark space with Halu and its money-saving trademark application technology. Halu, Julie, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. Halu to you. Great to have you here today. The first question we traditionally ask here is, what do you hope, what lessons or insights do you hope that entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? I think the biggest one is that we have an absolutely incredible and generous startup community in Canada. And my favorite thing to tell people is if you give help a lot of it, you will get it back in return. There is absolutely no way to build the company without a lot, a lot of help. And we all are here to help each other in this amazing community. So that's the thing that I tend to say to anybody who asks me this question, give help and ask for help a lot. Can you tell me a time you asked for help? So my co-founder and our CTO, Sarah Rua, used to work for a company called MindBridge. This is an AI-based company uh, with some status in the Canadian ecosystem. Um, mm -hmm. There was a co-founder of that company named Solon Angel. He reached out to us early to ask us if we needed help. He knew Sarah. She had worked for the company. He thought it was wonderful that she actually left to start this venture. And I ended up speaking with him and he asked me immediately, are you raising money from investors? 
because the best investors are angels. And can I help you to make those connections to get those key strategic angels in the early stages of your company that will help you to strategize, they'll network for you, and they'll actually bring in money for you. And I think that was one of the most impactful moments early on where somebody offered help, I agreed to accept the help, and we ended up with an amazing group of strategic angels from anywhere from Shopify or people involved with big corporations that could make connections for us, um, people who had AI experience and we do deep, deep AI. And so it's really important for us to be connected to advisors who understand that technology. And I could go on and on, but that was an impactful moment of somebody offering help me saying yes, and then giving us the help that we needed exactly for that stage. That's fantastic. And have you paid that forward or paid it back? I have actually. <laughs> I try and always extend help, you know, to 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 people mostly coming up behind us <laughs> that are earlier stage than us. Um, but I've certainly been able to help even some of our, you know, biggest name Shopify investors who've had issues with trademarks, uh, things like that. So the circle goes all the way around. That's beautiful. The circle goes all the way around. Absolutely. I think there's so much that experienced entrepreneurs can learn from new entrepreneurs coming up, especially in the tech space. And obviously, there's so much that that younger entrepreneurs can learn from more experienced ones. So I agree with you. The circle goes all the way around. Did you always know that you wanted to be a lawyer and in particular, a trademark lawyer? No, I actually didn't. I uh, thought I wanted to be a filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker. I worked in broadcasting and at the CBC. And then I realized I wanted to be sort of executive level uh, at the CBC. And in order to do that, I wanted to kind of go the path of a professional degree. So I went to law school thinking I would be a media lawyer that's very related to being an IP lawyer. Um, But while I was in law school, I really fell in love with international law and indigenous justice in particular. And so I did a bit of a detour, I would say. I worked in those fields, I did a master's, and I also um, worked uh, with indigenous nations in Northern Manitoba in uh, particular. But it ended up that I came back to IP in a roundabout way as well. I wanted to adopt a sibling group, uh, and that requires a lot of time and attention. Being uh, a lawyer representing uh, First Nations and major uh, treaty-related matters vis-a-vis the government is a tremendous amount of work. (laughs) It's a lot of travel. And I knew I wouldn't be able to have kind of both worlds and do them well. So I gave up my career in indigenous justice and focused back on a career in media law and IP that allowed me to stay at home, start up my own boutique law firm. And then I was able to kind of go through the adoption process. I adopted wonderful children uh, and came around to Uh, wanting to innovate the IP space after working in it for over a decade and seeing so many pain points. Very cool. 
Um, so you you became the IP lawyer, um, a, a good business you can just run, you know, from home, pretty much. And is that mainly like trademark patents, or as was other stuff as well? I don't do patents, so. Uh, this is a point of confusion for many people. Trademarks really only go to brands. So trademarks are things like uh, brand names like Nike or the Nike swoosh logo, the tagline, just do it. So things that appear on product labels or company names, that's what a trademark focuses on and trademark law is to do with. When it comes to patents, that's scientific in nature. And so typically patent lawyers have backgrounds as either engineers or chemists or things like that. It's highly technical, highly scientific, and it's very, very different. You're protecting innovation in terms of in new inventions or really totally novel concepts. Um, so they are very different specializations. Uh, oh. I specialized in trademark only. Okay, okay, got it. And uh, you you went along and helped other businesses get started and 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 protect their their IP. And how did you decide? Hey, I want to get in on this too. Yeah, I think it, it came from a lot of heartbreak, <laughs> to be honest. I served really large multinational corporations in my small boutique firm. I was fairly good at uh, certain very uh, difficult or complex, uh, you know, legal objections in the trademark space. So I did have huge companies uh, that I was serving, but I also had very, very small businesses. The smallest business you can imagine are at the mom and pop shop in your local town basically. And I just far, saw far too many small businesses uh, get into problems because they hadn't been proactive and register or protect their brands. Uh, they would be receiving cease and desist demand letters. They'd be, uh, you know, have litigation filed against them in court. Really difficult things for a small business owner to uh, manage and navigate. Can you give me an example of one of those cases? You don't have to mention the real names if you don't want to, but um, you know, what, what kind of problem did they get sure. into? Who, who's coming after them? Yeah, a couple of examples. So we had a plumbing, very small plumbing franchise of three sort of owners or locations. So uh, that's very important to know when you're franchising that you need to own your brand to kind of properly license your brand in, in a franchise model. Um, this uh, plumbing franchise of three locations had not done that and they hadn't set up their licensing correctly. In addition to that, they had used clip art from the internet for their logo and skinned a bunch of vehicles. So they had a fleet of maybe 10 vehicles between the three franchises and they spent tens of thousands of dollars to get all of those vehicles skinned and branded. They ended up uh, finding out that they couldn't own that image and they had to change their name, which was infringing. So they had two layers of problems. The third layer, of course, was that they couldn't set up the valid franchises because of this. So that was wow. one example. 
They lost all of that investment in skinning the vehicles. They had to redo all of it. Um, luckily, in that case, they didn't lose the business. The most heartbreaking one that I can think of was the story of a single mom. She was an esthetician. She had created a line of uh, eyelashes, and she was quite known for eyelashes. She decided to put her life savings into a brick-and-mortar store. Um, she had asked friends and family for money for the store, really tapped out all of her financial resources in terms of the initial startup of this business. She uh, got a bunch of branded product, uh, sort of developed and shipped to her from China. She had uh, signage for her brick and mortar store that was very expensive, beautiful stuff. And she got a cease and desist demand letter from one of the largest cosmetic companies in the world. They would not allow her to sell off her inventory. So she lost $30,000 in inventory. She could not afford to recover from that. She had to take her signs down. All of this uh, was lost. And as a consequence, she lost her business. Wow. And this was because her name sounded a bit too much like a, a brand that this other company owned? What is heartbreaking is that it's it was identical. So a quick Google search. So avoidable. <laughs> yeah, very avoidable. But most cases of infringement do not involve exact match trademarks. This is something that is very, um, there's a lot of uh, sort of misinformation about. If your name is too similar to an existing trademark, like for example, Nike with two E's at the end instead of one, um, that's directly infringing. A lot of people will adopt a name to put in the exact spelling of the name that they want to choose. The government website every time will return a false result because the technology behind the search that's available in an instant format online is insufficient. All it can do is catch a very exact match. And so you'll think it's available. Really, you come by it very honestly. Uh, you launch your brand, you invest all of the money in marketing, everything that goes into it, and you find out even your similar name is infringing on an existing trademark. Right. So a lot to take in there for an entrepreneur just starting out and obviously trying to do everything as inexpensively as they can and clip art and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, yeah. so, so you saw this again and again, that, that people were, were saving a dollar and putting mm -hmm. themselves at, a, at an existential risk. Mm -hmm. We just saw it way too many times. It broke my heart. And I said, this is so simple, adequate, proper trademark searching. So trademark searches that are instant, that apply all of the legal tests, should be available to anybody online. That seemed like doable technology, but it didn't exist. And so we created it successfully. We have an online search tool that applies all of the rules in law. It performs as well or better than the most expensive trademark search that takes days to turn around with human queries with our competitor. And it's really the most powerful tool that a small business owner could use initially when they're thinking of their name. That's something that was really important to me to create because if you can access a cheap or free tool that will just tell you right 
as you're starting a business, if you're going to have any problems, it just saves so much headache, money, time, potentially saves your entire business. So you saw this problem and Mm -hmm. how long did it take for you to decide, hey, I can do something about this? And what was your initial vision? Yeah, it did take long. I mean, I was sort of thinking about tools to help small business owners. It just, it goes back to this uh, thing that I mentioned earlier that I really get irked by injustice or unfairness. So I saw unfairness in the trademark system and access to trademark services. Anybody with a lot of money. So my big multinational corporations were always doing things in a proactive way. They were doing everything the right way because they could afford to. They also had access to advisors. The small businesses were always in trouble. They had always set things up the wrong way. They hadn't, you know, searched or applied to own their brand. And I thought, well, this is unfair. So in 2014, about, I started thinking of educational resources. I said, maybe there's a video series we can create. And we did. We created a video series in our boutique law firm. But what I found was that it just wasn't enough. You can educate people, but it doesn't bring the barrier down in terms of accessing actual brand ownership. Uh, It gives some information, but it doesn't give them a lawyer at the end of the day. So when did I start thinking about this? Uh, Around 2019, I started thinking about AI and essentially wondering, can we take the brain and all of that complex legal analysis that lawyers do and put it into a machine? If we could, then we could bring that barrier down. We could make it very, very accessible and we could bring the cost down to the floor as much as possible. The idea was trademarks for most businesses should be as cheap, easy, and fast as registering a domain. And that was the mission. Right. So now let's get back to, to, to the present day. So what you have is Halu is the company name, but I guess it's also the brand name for the service and the service is this AI driven automated uh, trademark search. Yeah. So what we've done is we've developed two parts in terms of our AI technology and that exists in an API. So we have a, the most powerful instant trademark search in the world in, in our view. And I think we've proven that. And two, we have a trademark application builder that, does not allow you to fail. So we've made it so it's very, very easy. You can even just simply communicate either a competitor or some kind of, you know, language around what it is you do. You could say, I make and sell t-shirts, type that into the tool. You could say my competitor is Sephora, type it into the tool, and it will produce a perfect fail-safe trademark application. So it takes all the complexity out of drafting and filing a trademark application. So these are two different services. Do most people do both? Most people do need both, but it might take some people a couple of times of using the search tool. Most brands 
have some kind of infringement issue with them. This is probably astonishing to your listenership, but it's true. And there's a statistic that 85% of brands experience trademark infringement every year. Wow. Over half of them have to rebrand. And again, for small businesses, that too many times, it means losing your business overnight. It sounds unbelievable, but if you're a practitioner in the space, if you're a lawyer serving these people, you know it's true. It's what we see over and over again. It's that heartbreak that led us to look at AI. Right. Um, and so your trademark search basically reduces that risk Yes. Almost, almost completely. I mean, I guess, you, can you say completely? Or do we, I presume the we have to live with a little bit of risk. There's risk in every trademark application yeah. because at the end of the day, the government processes are, have not been modernized. So what we really need is for the government processes to be modernized in the same way so that all of the rules in law are applied with better consistency. But what happens right now is that when you submit an application to the government, it's a human trademark examiner that makes the assessment on the application. And every human has a different lens in decision-making. And so you may have one examiner that might be more strict about a rule and another examiner that may be less strict about a rule. And that can come in so many shades and colors. It can be somebody who's new to the job versus somebody who is highly, highly experienced, who's been there for decades. Right. But um, the disruptive thing here, though, is that you're taking the trademark search that normally costs a few thousand dollars, I think, and you're offering it for 249 Yes. So the comparable product in terms of a competitor product is offered by a couple of very dominant trademark search houses. They're very, very good at searches, but they're only available to lawyers. What we do is we've taken that quality of trademark search, we've made it instant, so you can run a high, high quality, the highest quality trademark search in market in under 60 seconds through our tools even with the most expensive product, the most expensive trademark search offered by our competitor, it will cost you $1,000 at least, sometimes more, and it will take two days minimum, up to a week. We produce all of that in 60 seconds and we make it available to anybody. You don't have to be a lawyer. And yes, we offer it currently for 249. Did you actually create your own AI system or do you, is that something you can buy off the shelf and then just train it to, you know, identify what you want it to identify? No, not at all. It's deep AI technically. And it took two years for us to build from scratch. Wow. That's where the angel investors came in handy, I guess. <laughs> yes. We have some institutional investors, um, investors, that are well known in our ecosystem like Anovia. And we have a number of angel investors that I think are really, really good in early stages of development. So 
the first investors were strategic angel investors, people who could be advisors, who could make connections. And now that we're heading into bigger funding rounds, we're looking at those more so those institutional investors like Anovia. Right. So I keep hearing that, you know, there's it's it's almost impossible to to hire uh, talent in, in, in AI because, you know, there's not enough of them and there's so much demand. So how did you as a startup um, get the expertise you needed to do deep AI for this product? We looked for women that... Uh, is the best answer I can give you. I think, you know, there's so much talent out there that is undervalued. Uh, and so we look in those pockets in, in communities, we value everybody It's mission-based for us. Uh, we, again, everything comes down to fairness for us and, and fundamentally, you know, from a vision mission standpoint, so when we sought out to create the AI, um, I, you know, called up immediately my very close friend, Sarah Rue. She is a data engineer with two decades of experience. She had been working at MindBridge, uh, as I mentioned. And immediately we said, how do we attract the best talent? And she said, you know, women are so undervalued in tech. Let's go and find women who are incredible, who will build this, who will align with our mission, who will stay the course with us, and who are incredible from a technology standpoint. Wow, that's I mean that that that's such a beautiful strategy and it it, it fits so well. Um, and there, are they contract people? Or were you actually able to hire them? No, we only have employees. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So you have um, the two products now. How would you say the market has embraced them? Yeah, we've sort of done a pivot uh, for this year. So we originally uh, strongly focused, and again, it's hugely driven by that fairness mission, focused on the SMB market, and we wanted it to be single transaction. So we wanted a small business owner to pay one fee not a subscription to pay that one fee to get everything set up properly for their brand and their business and then to go on their way. Um, what we found is that we also had a huge opportunity with large enterprise <laughs> and there was demand wow. for the technology in the large enterprise format as well. So we wanted to... For the same purpose, to, to check whether they can use... You know, new brands for their new products or services? Absolutely. Some of these brands will search 25 trademarks a day. And that sounds really mind-blowing, <laughs> but it's really true. Um, so you have to think of these brands as having many, many sub-brands. So a big company like Nestle, for example, has 12 brand verticals. All of those brand verticals have sub-brands within them. So there's an extraordinary amount of ideation happening between marketing and branding teams and the legal teams that are clearing new product names, new logos. Every marketing slogan you see around the holidays or for whatever reason is a trademark. 
And all of that needs to be cleared before it's launched to the public, essentially. So there are big marketing and branding teams, and there are equally big legal, you know, trademark agent teams, for example, or paralegals that work with these marketing and branding teams to ideate and clear new trademarks all the time. It's a very, very high volume of search for a relatively low volume of filings. Interesting. So which is uh, which which direction are you going in? Are you going after the enterprise or the individual entrepreneurs? What we said was we spent a lot of time thinking about this, really soul searching, because we ultimately want to reach everybody. And we definitely want to level the playing field between SMBs and large enterprise. So we said, how do we reach the highest number of SMBs? And we decided that we would go back to that original vision of sort of thinking about trademark registration in the same way you think about domain registration. The first thing an entrepreneur does is they'll go to a domain registrar's website and they'll see if the domain is available. So we said, let's try and partner with domain registrars and other sort of day one business partners to distribute our SMB product. So we're partnering with some of the biggest names in the world when it comes to e-commerce platforms and domain registrars and other kind of day one service providers. We're partnered in Canada, for example, with Owner. And the idea is that those companies would become distributors for the SMB. They would be the best way for us to get everybody, all the SMBs thinking that we possibly can sort of reach it's the highest reach that we can think of on the SMB side. Then we said, let's focus on the enterprise side in terms of Halu as a company. So our company for this year is focused on building, which we've done, a really robust workflow platform, sort of like an Asana or Slack for a trademark search and trademark application building and bringing those marketing and branding teams together with the legal team in one space and selling that as our focus as a company while our distribution partners handle reaching out to all the SMBs that we can. I think the future is Web3. I'm very excited about Web3 from an entrepreneurship standpoint. Now, I know all about Web3, but just in case some <laughs> of our listeners don't, what's Web3? Web3 is um, sort of, uh, let me go back to Web1 <laughs> and then we'll get to Web3. So Web1, the first version of the internet allowed you to read on the internet. So you could access some content. Those were good days. Yeah, you couldn't interact with it, but you could access it. Right. Web Web 2 allowed you to interact. It allowed you to post content. It allowed you to respond to content. So you could read and write in Web 2. In Web 3, you can read, write, and what's most exciting is you can own. So that ownership piece largely is intellectual property. What it means in tangible terms for entrepreneurs, so your audience, is that the barrier to entrepreneurship is even lower, I would argue almost to the ground, in Web3. If you own an internet connection, or sorry, a computer and you have an internet connection, 
you can participate in the Web3 economy. You can create NFTs. You can participate in all sorts of economic activity simply by using a computer. And that's very exciting. But what you're ultimately doing when you create things with your computer is you create intellectual property. It's not tangible. It's not a physical object. It's something that exists in digital format. Are we talking stories, music, pictures, videos, artifacts? Yeah, I mean, all, all of that. All of that is yeah. possible. It can be, you know... Substantially, what I focus on, which is important for Halu and what we're doing, are what are called NFTs, so non-fungible tokens. And I'll focus only, there are many, many different types of NFTs, but I'll focus only on the ones that you might recognize from recent news stories or that have gained a lot of popularity online. So if you're familiar with collections, NFT collections like Board Ape Yacht Club, as an example, those are essentially um, creative works, in a sense. There are NFT creators that make these collections of what are images, essentially, of board apes. You can participate in that, but what I'm focused on with Halu is being cre a creator in Web3. So anybody, my 12-year-old son, as an example, who wanted to start an apparel line when he was 12 years old, he needed me to believe in him. He needed me to get his t-shirts printed, things like that. A 12-year-old in Web3 doesn't need their parent to help them. They can go on the internet. They can design their own apparel line in digital format. They can sell and trade online very, very easily. They might need a little bit of startup cost, but it's not nearly what you need uh, in the web two sort of world. Mm -hmm. So that's, what's really exciting is that web three brings the barrier to entrepreneurship down to the floor. Wow. A creator can be, um, so popular in the web three space <laughs> so quickly just by building community that all of a sudden they can collaborate with big brands like, We've seen with a collection called Artifact and Nike, Board Ape Yacht Club has partnered and collaborated, I think, with Adidas as an example. There's a lot of commercialization opportunity that can happen with sort of what are smaller creators becoming big, big brands in Web3 just by building community. And that's so exciting. What it also means to me in terms of the future is that absolutely everybody is going to own intellectual property. We all own physical property. You can look around the room. We all own physical property. But the future is that everybody will own intellectual property. And I would go so far to say as brands will be the new social handle because we can all participate in this economy so, so easily. We can all build a brand. So the brand, I, mean, I think of it as art and the board ape um, mm -hmm. example you had. I mean, those are all, they look like, you know, individual cartoons of mm -hmm. board looking heavy lidded 
primates. So, <laughs> so the, 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 does, do NFTs go beyond sort of what we think of as limited edition art into other areas of life and business? Yeah, I actually think of NFTs in a very controversial way. I think NFTs in the Board Ape Yacht Club sense are digital branded goods. So it's the fact that they're Board Ape Yacht Club images that makes them something. In the same way that a Jordan sneaker, because it's a Jordan and it's branded Jordan and is designed by Jordan designers, that's uh, sort of what makes it coveted or special. And I think it's the same for NFT collections like Board Ape Yacht Clubs. I think copyright applies to art and copyright does not easily apply to what you're thinking in terms of these NFT images. What applies better is the concept that they are digital goods that are branded in that same way that we have physical sneakers that are branded. We want to own it. We want to participate in it. And the commercial activity is really about collaborating with big brands, bringing this brand into other spaces, movies, entertainment, merchandise, apparel. I don't think of those collections so much as limited edition art. That's not to say that there isn't high art and certainly... Uh, I know one of our investors is an advisor for Christie's in, in terms of NFT art, and that's a different thing. NFTs can be all sorts of things. So what's the role that Halu plays in this uh, wonderful new space? All of us are so excited about the, the role or potential for Halu in this new space. The reason being is that, like I said, everybody is going to own intellectual property in the future. What we do is we give ownership of that intellectual property. Everybody is going to be able to create a brand. And at the same time with Halu, with certain partnership channels and awareness around sort of NFT and brand ownership, people will actually own their brands in the Web3 space so, so easily, even if the, all they're doing is sort of setting up what I call a quote unquote sort of lemonade stand in the web three space. So the smallest entrepreneur is going to be able to own the brand so that in case that brand becomes really, really huge, which can happen. We've seen it happen with small creators building community that they have ownership, they have protection, and they have the ability to license correctly in a way that allows them that huge economic opportunity, commercialization, partnerships with other big brands, etc. Yeah, that's, that sounds amazing, but I'm not quite sure. So has Halu, is Halu just still um, facilitating with the the, the search to ensure that this is a unique new product or is it more of a platform for handling whatever issues or opportunities are involved with uh, owning and managing, buying and selling NFTs? It's search and application drafting. So the really hard parts of initially filing to own your brand, 
which is becoming more and more important. Uh, I think you've heard a lot about issues on OpenSea and other NFT platforms, issues of infringement, uh, you know, people investing half a million dollars sometimes in NFTs and they're on shaky legal ground because the licenses don't tie to actual IP filings or IP ownership. You can't license IP that you haven't cleared or owned. So there are all these problems that are creating a situation where anybody participating in the NFT space needs to actually apply to own their IP. I think it falls under trademark in most cases. And so they actually need to correctly clear filed their trademarks and then launched their uh, sort of mint their collections on these platforms like OpenSea so that it's kind of verified IP. It's the blue check mark, so to say, so to speak. I think that's Halu's potential, giving that blue check mark around IP verification, clearance and ownership. Once you establish that, then you can commercialize it. When it comes to issues around infringement or enforcement we're building some ai tools around that but for the most part that's really where you need to go back to a traditional lawyer <laughs> and get some very customized uh, sort of advice right so looking at it um so, so you have this capability and suddenly it is sort of multiplied who knows tenfold maybe more by the fact that all of these the these new digital goods are growing up, springing up around us. And obviously we're still just figuring out uh, how to manage all that, but you're already there. You've got the expertise, you've got a platform. So you're in the right place at the right time. Mm -hmm. All right. Last question. What, 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 what do you think Halu will look like two or three years from now? Is it going to be a company with a, that's global in scope and has thousands of people around the world? What's it look like? I mean, really, that's our hope. We have a few big dreams for Halu. Our own slogan or tagline is every business starts with Halu. Halu is sort of the first thing you do when you pick up a call for a customer, when somebody walks into your store. These are the initial things that you do. You welcome people. It's the first thing. We want to be the first thing that any business owner does. We want them to clear and protect their brand. We want them to own their brand. So we want every business to start with Halu, big or small. In terms of the company, we want to be the biggest uh, technology story in Canada with the most diverse uh, employees and investors. So over 65% of our cap table are underrepresented investors. That was very mission-based and very deliberate. Very deliberately and very intentionally, we have hired what we would say are extremely qualified but undervalued employees. 90% of our leadership team are underrepresented. 50% of our technology team are women. And our two biggest leaders in our tech our CTO and our lead AI scientists are women. We want to sort of bring this idea of economic justice 
to be very um, prominent in the Canadian startup ecosystem. I think this ecosystem can set the model for the world on this. Once everybody gets to participate in the economy equally, we will find that so many social issues are resolved. We all need representation. We all need to participate. We all should have a chance to do that. Nobody should be undervalued. So we want to be a giant tech story with the absolute most diverse team. Wow. <laughs> That's just uh, jaw-dropping. Uh, such a great vision for service to business, service to individuals who see the way through to, uh, to participating in, the, in these new markets, and service to the community in terms of promoting and, 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 and uh, tapping the talents of so many underrepresented people. Mm -hmm. uh, what can I say? Congratulations on everything that you've done. And I am really, really interested to see, you know, what happens next. Uh, so we're going to be following your adventures, Julie, at, at Hulu. And, uh, and we're going to have you back again when you are the biggest tech story in Canada. We're going to tell that story, too. I will be totally honored if you invite me back. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Julie McDonald, co-founder and CEO of Hello Incorporated. Watch out. She's going to be everywhere. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.